This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I am joined by a good friend, fellow podcast host, Ingrid Milman Cordy. Welcome to the show, Ingrid. Hi, Kiri. Always a pleasure. Yeah. So a little, I'll, I'll read your bio in a second, but just for the audience's benefit, Ingrid is the host of a wonderful podcast called Infinite Shelf, which I had the recent pleasure of um, coming along, uh, riding shotgun for a few episodes as a guest co-host on that show. Um, so much fun having you. Thank you for that. Yeah, it, w- it was so much more fun. It's much more, this is a pretty tactical show. Um, the Infinite Shelf is really focused on human elements of commerce and um, really more of a 50,000 foot thematic view of, of the world. So it was, it was cool to sit in that seat for a little while. And yeah, we get real vibey on infinite. Show. We get <laughs> real vibey. That should be the tagline for that show. Definitely. <laughs> um, so Ingrid, besides hosting the infinite shelf podcast, it has been a thought leader in the D2C digital marketing and e-commerce space for the past 15 years, leading digital growth at many of the fashion, beauty, and CPG brands that you know and love like Mac Cosmetics, Elf Beauty, and Taylor Loft, Pepsi, Nude Hydration, and more. Her passion for connecting the brand, creative, and technical development has resulted in award-winning digital experiences and growth that are relentlessly consumer-focused to deliver proven results. She is currently the Senior Director of Digital Strategy at Nestle Health Science and is the host of the human-centric retail podcast, Infinite Shelf. Nothing to it. (laughs) Oh, you know, just a couple name drops here and there. (laughs) So today um, we're here to talk about retail media, um, best practices, doing a deep dive and speaking with brand side practitioners and leaders about their experience with retail media, what it looks like within their organizations, um, metrics that they're tracking, org structure, things like that. Because in my conversations with brands, everyone is a little curious about how things operate within companies. Not that there is, in all of my conversations, it doesn't seem to be a one-size-fits-all approach or a singular best model for everyone, but we could all learn a little bit about some new ideas and how other companies are going about it just by speaking to those people who are at the coalface uh, every day. So before we jump in, I've got some prepared questions, but I think, Ingrid, you have a unique role at Nestle Health Sciences in, in where you sit in the company and, and how it's organized around digital. So first of all, would you mind just sharing how the team is structured and what role you play? Sure. Yeah. Um, and so basically Nestle Health Science is set up where we have a centralized team that looks at digital holistically. And then there are individual brands that work really, really collaboratively and closely with the centralized teams. And so I sit on the centralized team and it's a really nice place to be because I'm able to 
sort of switch hats based on the brands that I'm talking to and their business model and the way that they are positioned in the market. And so uh, the way that we approach any type of media, whether it's retail or awareness or conversion media, we have a point of view from a centralized perspective and best practices and and things that we want to make sure that we are sort of scaling across all of the brands. But then we absolutely have to take a more tailored and um, customized approach at each individual brand level. And so the way that these questions flow for one brand within our portfolio is different, probably even fundamentally, than another brand based on, you know, the percentage of their business that that is within retail or within D2C or within Amazon. Um, And so I think that you're kind of getting a little bit of a mix of everything um, from from this conversation, but I just wanted to structure the conversation in the upfront to give you that context because I'll be going back and forth and giving some examples, but with the business model ahead of time so that you understand how we look at it, or at least how I look at it personally as an individual professional um, within within these portfolios and, and what I would recommend. Great. Yeah, that, that center of excellence model is something that I've heard a little bit about uh, from, from some brands. And I think throughout the conversation, we're definitely going to hear some of the benefits of that model and what you're able to bring to those 15 or so um, brands that you're supporting. What the, either at a center of excellence level or within with some brand examples, what are some things that your company has done really well with retail media networks? Yeah, I mean, I think that when we look at retail media, we look at what it can do for that particular retailer, but then we look at it as a broader marketing channel too. And I think that that isn't something that is very obvious to a lot of brands until it becomes very obvious because it is another way to get on the shopping list or to come up across you know, a competitive set that you're trying to break through into. Yeah. So I think at Nestle Health Science, we have been able to sort of allow that to the retail media to be both in the world of sales and retail and, and thinking through it from the lens of that portfolio or really that that retailer for that brand. And also it's a marketing place, right? And so you're able to have the opportunity to show up against your competitive set. You're able to get people aware of your brand or your product that maybe weren't before. And so the sort of co-ownership, if you will, of Mm. marketing and sales for retail media is something that I think goes really well. Yeah. So co-ownership, that's interesting. And um, the question that I have there is how how do you make co-ownership work? Because that can just from a general organizational standpoint, if you've got two people or two teams responsible for the same metric, Mm -hmm. either it doesn't, you know, things can go wrong with co-ownership when there's not a a clear owner. So how do you make, what are some good best practices you have there to make sure that that is working? Big time. Yeah. Understatement of probably the century. (laughs) Um, So we have a, we, we have to have really strong principles. Um, within our team and the way that we work with other teams. Um, And one of the most important principles that we work through is accountability, not silos. And 
in the world, the retail ecosystem and the retail world that we live in now, whether it's directly related to retail media or not, that principle is invoked every moment of every day. Um, so many meetings and and so many working relationships have to sort of start and end. There's there always has to be an actual owner and ultimately you know, the brands roll up into an individual P&L, but then, mm. so there's one owner there, but then each of the brands has their own owner within their P&Ls of different businesses. So that's already by design. So there's like the marketing owner and there's the, you know, Walmart owner and, and all of those things. And so everyone just by nature has always been responsible for their own piece of the pie. But ultimately there's one person or a group of people that own the PNL for that particular brand. And then guess what? That brand gets rolled up into a portfolio and then that portfolio gets rolled up to another thing. And so I don't think that we really, when we take a step back, we actually see that even without the complexity that retail media puts into our hands, we've already established ways of working where there is ultimately one brand owner, but within that brand, there are multiple owners. And so mm -hmm. I think that there's there's the lines of accountability and the people who actually like own it on paper in terms of like, if you're looking at a, a racy chart, it's like responsible, like right? They're the owner. Yeah. Um, but then the ways of working. And so the people who are accountable and, and consulted and collaborating are just as important. And so whenever there's an actor who owns the entire decision, they're never, they of course own it, but they're, they're never really meant to do things unilaterally. Ultimately it's mm -hmm. their decision, but the way that we work and the culture that we surround that is with collaboration. And so even there are plenty of things that on paper I own outright. It sits on my budget. It, you know, it's the thing I'm fully accountable for. If someone, you know, drops the ball, I'm the person who is responsible for it ultimately. But I can't think of a single one of those things that I would feel comfortable with making a decision on unilaterally. Yeah. So within that racy model, you'd have, you would often be con consulted. I would, I would either be consulted or be the owner and I ask for consultation. Got it. Yeah. Super and again, helpful. multiple brands, so different business models and different portfolios, different app approaches, but we're really clear on who really is ultimately the end of the day decision maker, but also who needs yep. to be collaborated with. Yes. Super interesting. Um, before the before we started recording, we're also talking about defining retail media as well. And um, you brought up an interesting question, which is, do I consider Amazon to be part of retail yeah. media? And immediately I, I do. I, I, actually, there's an um, e-marketer does some forecasting around re what makes up retail media and who are the biggest players in the most recent forecast was Amazon being 77% yeah. and Walmart being 6.2%. So Amazon like totally dominates retail media totally. right now, but there's a good argument to kind of pull that out, I guess, and like put Amazon almost in its own lane because yes. it is definitely retail media, but now we're also seeing them emerge more as a uh, programmatic and branding opportunity right. as well. And I think that there is, for a lot of digital folks, 
desperately trying to sort of move Amazon onto its own line item essentially because it can be a branding play as well it's not just a distribution cost like a lot of um accounting departments would want to put it in Mm -hmm. um so maybe speak to that a little bit do you see do you see different like do do your brands look at that a little bit differently or do you have sort of a, a a company perspective on how Amazon should be treated as a line item within retail media Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I think if there's one major takeaway from this conversation that I would want to impart on on your audience is taking out Amazon and putting it into its own category is is fundamental. Um, And I I think the same thing, honestly, for your D2C business, if you have that Mm. as part of your as your sales mix, they are they're really different businesses. And this is this yep. is my personal opinion. We are actually in for Nestle Health Science, we are in multiple ways of looking at this depending on what percentage of the total business Amazon is in. Um but I think yeah. you know, as I as I try to impart my um point of view and experience in making these decisions holistically as a team, the way that I look at it is when you have Amazon mixed in with all of these, they immediately suck up all the oxygen in the room, right? And so it becomes very, very difficult to scale and like the the, the line of decision making and how you're going to invest on Amazon is fundamentally different than the way that you're going to invest on, you know, the other retailers or in some of those more centralized ones like like Instacart or Criteo that can drive you to other retailers or multiple retailers. And so having the ability to think clearly for Amazon and for D2C is is critical because then you have the oxygen and the brain space and the strategic room to think about the other retailers and the other retail media mm-hmm. networks um, without without the big weight of, of Amazon. Super interesting. Let's dig into this because you, you obviously have a very clear point of view on this mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's not particularly wi- widely held as far as I've seen. So when does that make sense? And when might that not make sense to kind of split it out as its own distribution and or own marketing channel? This is a rough estimate, but I would say if Amazon takes up anywhere more equal to or more than 20 or 25% of your total business is when it starts making sense. Um, Or 20 or 25 or probably more than that, probably about 40% of your retail media investment goes to Amazon. Like if you're trying to scale it and it's not quite 20 or 25% of your total business, but you envision it getting there, um, Mm -hmm. then I do think that it deserves its own line items and accountability. And, and, you know, these are, these are just my own rough estimates, but it's basically anything that makes it materially bigger than everything else is, is when I think it makes sense, whether that is your total sales mix, where you want your total sales mix to go or your total marketing mix. Mm. What do you see? Like if a brand is, does that, what sort of benefits do you see coming from that? from either a, a model a, a forecasting standpoint or performance yeah. like what are the, some of the tangible benefits of doing that yeah I mean I think that 
Amazon in its design for all of its marketing has done a really brilliant job in creating its sort of uh, siloed or insular ecosystem. And so when you're talking about Amazon media, you're mostly talking about Amazon DSP and then Amazon search and display and all of those things you're buying through Amazon or even if you're mm-hmm. you know doing it through an agency like those are all things that ultimately you're buying with Amazon and so it's all interacted with your audiences your competitive landscape that is very specific to Amazon um, your the search term like volume and where you sit within that that is so unique and specific to Amazon that when you try to add other retailers into that strategy or those decisions, um, I don't think you are necessarily able to think or see it as clearly because you're trying to solve multiple problems um, at once. It's almost like I always find it helpful to go back to like we we own a mall, right? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. Amazon is is like the big department store in the mall and then there's like a couple of stores that are nearby. The way that you get people to the big department store is going to be very different than getting people to the smaller department stores or or even the smaller retail stores within that mall. And so when you think about it like that, it clearly makes sense to look at Amazon, especially if it if it within your sales mix or marketing mix does actually come up as the department store um, to look at it separately. Hmm. What do you think? Do you, I mean, you're, this is your world just as much as it is mine, but from a different perspective, do you agree or yeah, not? It is, it is a different perspective. I think the main challenge that I see is Amazon costs being a fixed line item rather than distributed out uh, for for the, the job that they're doing. So, for example, um, there's there's more and more brand marketing happening on Amazon mm-hmm. with their programmatic um, at media capabilities now. Yeah. So we can we can be buying media on Thursday Night Football. We can be buying media on Freebie and yeah. Twitch and like doing lots of top of funnel stuff with Amazon DSP and different types of creative. Um, placements that they have so that should be a branding a a brand line item but it's run through Amazon and then there would be performance marketing that we're running through Amazon PPC and that should be really you know below uh, a cost of sales below the line yes thanks thanks for (laughs) but it's you know you get the bill from Amazon it's just not clear to the finance team necessarily that we're talking about two very very different costs Mm -hmm. and also you know then there comes a capability question which is is the brand team even aware of what the capabilities are are they looking at Amazon in a sort of a a view that they might have had that might have been appropriate five or ten years ago which is oh that is a cost of sales rather than a branding opportunity. Um, so that's where I see that's where I see a lot of confusion. Yeah. Um, same. So splitting it out, it, it, it is what's unusual about Amazon is it is a distribution channel. It is a store, but it's also a marketing channel as well. Um, yeah. But I think that that might also be your point. You've got to split it out both ways. I agree. I, yeah. I do. And I'm, I'm actually really glad that you brought up this point because it's really important. Um, question for you. If Amazon, so thinking about Amazon as the marketing, like the brand marketing place 
via, you know, Thursday Night Football or Twitch and all these other ways that they're sort of scaling into that part of the marketing media mix. Um, Do you think that the brand marketing team, if Amazon represents sub 20 or even 15% of your total um, sales and that's sort of like just by design of of the, mm-hmm. the place that you're in. You're not trying to get to make it be thirty percent or whatever. Um, do you f- still feel similarly about having Amazon be a key pillar in your top of funnel awareness investment? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I guess it depends on the the size of the number that you're talking about. If you're a you know fifty billion. Right. dollar a year company probably not it's not going to make a whole lot of sense but um it it depends on the the size of that investment i guess and also what the what the what your goal is what the ultimate objective is is it to drive growth you drive category share you've got a new brand you've got to educate the market mm-hmm. that is a different objective to being focused on hitting a certain um contribution margin Definitely. or a gross gross profit margin. So then this is this is where like I, I run out I run into my ceiling of knowledge about yeah um financial accounting. So but I think it, it would it would really depend there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's like like, that it's it's a it's an interesting one. And the reason why I ask is because when we look at if we're if we're truly in this like let's put on our growth hats here and we're just trying to like break out and, and introduce our brand and we are coming in and, and wanting to steal market share or create a new category, grow a new category, whatever it is, um, I would say there are probably way more affordable places to do that um, than than the CPMs and the CPA that you're going to get on those larger top of funnel Amazon investments, they're really still quite expensive. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the way that I justify those expenses, because I do see a world in which they're very, very appealing to invest in. And the way I I justify those is through the like audience and the insights that you're like the audience insights that you're able to get once you have an Amazon business and you can get to a place because before like the the more affordable CPMs or CPAs or impressions are going to be places where you're kind of like spraying and praying like old school traditional media awareness and and there's a place for that right like TV still Mm -hmm. I'm always shocked at like how much TV really does move the needle for a lot of brands still. And and it's very interesting because there's like no audience segmentation there. It's truly just like the definition of spray and pray. But I think the, mm-hmm. the value that a top of funnel Amazon investment can bring to you is through that audience intelligence and then making sure, you know, because you're in that Amazon ecosystem, you can get all the way through into sales, even if sales isn't your ultimate KPI, you can get a much clearer understanding of how you're moving the intent needle um, and your glance clues and things like that. And I think that's super valuable, but only when Amazon represents a meaningful part of your business. Yes. And I'd add to that with Amazon Marketing Cloud, we're able to see so much more around what does that journey look like? and depending on what you're optimizing for, what is the best journey? And we're finally able to put some real shape around DSP, top of funnel DSP investment. And does that actually drive 
better conversions later on. So mm-hmm. if someone does see an, a, an, a video streaming ad on an Amazon network on freebie or something mm-hmm. like that, are they more likely to, are they then more likely to convert later on? And I have, um, very recently, only recently actually downloaded the freebie app, which is Amazon's free TV. Yeah. Like their Roku app. channel thing. Exactly. And I, I watched a documentary on there and, and watched all the ads just to, out of curiosity, who's targeting me? What am I going to see here? And it was the usual, you know, Geico ads and Hyundai. Right. Um, but then I was targeted, I live in Atlanta and I was targeted for Zaxby's, which is a fast food chain huh. here in the Southeast and so not really, you know, not national as far as I know. Um, so it's definitely targeted demographically for that. Yeah. Someone in their media team knows what they're doing. Shout out to Zaxby's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should get a promotion. Uh, yeah. Um, so I know that that is, you know, that that's certainly possible with other streaming TV networks. That's not, you know, groundbreaking necessarily, but think of what Amazon could do. They know that I am a mother, mm-hmm. a cat owner. I live in Atlanta. I, you know, what I'm a big cook because I order a lot of grocery items. Yeah. They know all this stuff about me. And so that there could be a lot more rich targeting on freebie. And if I'm Zaxby's, I've, ne- I've never set foot in a Zaxby's. But once I see that ad, Zaxby's can, can also use their first party data from their um, store data, marry that with AMC data and then mm-hmm. see did Kiri ever end up stepping foot in a Zaxby's mm-hmm. and purchasing and tying that back to um, that streaming ad? So, yes, I think that now more than ever, that above-the-line branding kind of ad- advertisements that you can run through Amazon can be measured and can really, you can finally sort of show an ROI, yeah. which creates a very interesting paradigm for a brand team because, like you said, it's never really been it, it TV still works and you don't know why yeah <laughs> now we'll finally be able to see why and like make it much more of a performance mechanism than it's ever been before I I the the picture that you paint to me is um, of course super appealing I think there are and it's probably just a simple you know growing pain situation but like the the things that stop me from seeing that through is you the the properties where you're you're getting those ads are not popular enough I mean they're getting there with like their acquisitions and they're getting there through these media partnerships with the NFL like that's where you know they're really like coming in and going hard on being where the people are at um these like the the current properties that you're able to purchase on Amazon, just for me, like even with all of the souped up analytics and audience intelligence and being able to look at the the insights through a yeah. much more meth- methodical um, approach, all is great. But like if you're not, you know, the whole idea is that the inventory needs to be way better. And so I think that once Amazon does that, and it seems like they're, they are getting with the program and and doing that pretty quickly, um, I think that's going to start changing minds. I think the other piece we have to remember is 
marketers at the end of the day, especially like awareness and top of funnel marketers, whether they're like traditionally minded or not, are still looking at CPA and CPM and they're still yeah. hella expensive. Mm-hmm. So that's my two cents on that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, freebie is a weird example because no one watches that as far as I yeah. can see. <laughs> I just, I, I, I spoke with one of the, I think it was the, um, like one of the creative directors who came to Amazon Unboxed and he was saying he was so proud because they had actually launched 31 new shows on freebie that this year just complete, completely new, like didn't exist yeah 11 months ago so they've really invested in that it's still very small in terms of a plat I asked you know how many viewers do you have or app downloads and he couldn't even tell me yeah but um there is a th- it's not just those platforms like twitch people kind of roll their eyes about twitch oh I don't I love twitch your brand. I see it as yeah. being super it- valuable Yes, it actually t- makes tons of sense to health, health, Nestle Health Sciences, but for a lot of brands, they roll their eyes at that. Thursday Night Football is still not biddable on the DSP, right. um, but there are also other third-party streaming channels that they have, and obviously they're trying to build up their own as well. Anyway, sort of digressed a little bit there. I know I've, I've kept you for a little while. I had so many more questions for you, Ingrid, but we end up, as usual, just going <laughs> off on a tangent and have <laughs> getting stuck into something else. What's a, what's a hot one that you really want to make sure we touch on before? before okay, I really want to know what are, the met- what are the metrics that you track? Oh, my gosh. We don't have enough time for that. (laughs) Every single human thing possible. Well, I think we've touched on a lot of them. And we we do the one – another big piece of advice that I want to give here is that the metrics need – all of the metrics need to be um, tracked, right? But the metrics that matter to your goal – and this also sounds stupidly fundamental, but you'd be surprised – are, are the ones that matter most. So when you're in the awareness. Amen, of- sister. Yeah. It's, Amen. It's- if you're focused on growth. Right. Don't look so much. Don't, don't be focused so much Bro-as. on the growers. Exactly. Yes. You got to just like 100%. have a really honest conversation with yourself or like, what are you trying to do here? And are these goals connected to what you do here? Because we marketers and digital people get drunk on KPIs and measurement. And we just want to look at every single yes. possible thing and just sit on our data data and roll around like Scrooge McDuck in it. And yep. I just think And especially when the, the platforms themselves, they're like here what what matters to the platforms is getting more ad dollars. So they're right. still gonna put whatever metrics in front of you that are gonna exactly. make you spend more there. Exactly. So I would say be honest with yourself about what your goals are and use the metrics available that will help you determine whether you achieve those specific goals. Great answer. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We have um, had some great conversations over the years. We even You even contributed to my book, Instacart for CMOs, if you remember that one, uh-huh. Blast from the Past. Super fun, super fun. Super fun. Um, so thank you for coming on the show and sharing your point of view from the center of excellence seat. Of course. Um, we can yeah. do a part two whenever you want. There's, there's so much. I mean, come on. 
This is, this is too easy. This is so much fun to do. Come on. You. <laughs> <laughs> and I do, re- we'll put in the show notes as well. Check out Infinite Shelf, which is awesome. Um, another great podcast to add to your rotation. And um, Ingrid, I'll catch you around the, the potosphere. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Talk soon. Bye.